From the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. And we are in action with you here. We are in your ear and you are in our hearts. I am Sven Erlinson, the host of the Badass Counseling Show. I have no idea what any of that means, but regardless of where you are tuning in from around the world, it is great to have you here, especially our friends in the UK and up in sunny, warm Canada, as far as you know. I am joined in studio by Casey in the booth and Rob the Rocket next to me. Rob, what's the good word today? I think what you were trying to say, Sven, is counseling souls is all we do, and we are here for you. Wow. We need to, that is our new tagline or some such thing. I don't think it is, but go ahead. It is today. All right. Well, Rob, we've got uh, two people today. We're doing a little group thing today. We've got Athena and Brian. Uh, will you tell us about Athena to start here, Rob? All right, Sven, here we go. Athena wrote to us a nice paragraph and said, Sven, you saved me several times by watching your TikToks and lives. However, I've grown weary and have the scary realization that I can't save myself and I need your help. I'm 35 years old, a female who's seeking love in my life, yet I've only been in situationships since 23 years old, never had a boyfriend, and now have been an affair partner for the past three years. You actually addressed my problem briefly on your live about a year ago. I told you I was feeling deep shame and guilt from being the other woman, getting pregnant, and aborting because I didn't want to ruin his marriage and break his family apart, even though I wanted to keep the baby. I found a way out of it momentarily by getting into graduate school for a year in D.C., but ended up back where I was with him again now that we're stationed at the same base in North Carolina. I'm growing into a deep depression again with a strong belief I only deserve this withered form of love, if we can even call it that, because of what I've chosen to do for the past three years and continue to do. And I also don't deserve any good relationship in my life. From a young age, I was S.A. by my older brother, to which no one in my family knows about. I fear that he's done it to my other sisters too, but I don't see how addressing it will do any good, as I no longer talk to him and our family is somewhat broken since my father passed away in 2013. I've been journaling since I've been following you, but I find myself again sinking and suffocating in this quicksand called life, truly believing I'll only be loved or given attention by men for my body. Can you please help me shine a light on a reality that I cannot see for myself? And then we also heard from Brian, who said, I broke up with a covert narcissist over a year ago. I still allowed them to hoover and remain in a situationship for the last year before I put all the pieces together and was discarded when her new supply reached out because he felt she was lying to him. And I gave him her playbook, including stories for context. He saw all the flags I brought to his attention and almost left. But now there's been a smear campaign as well as additional attempts to hoover, then escalation of narc rage after being turned down. She has now teamed up with my previous abuser to attempt to bait me into reactive abuse, something I'm particularly susceptible to. Over the past one and a half to two years, I had explosive growth once I learned about attachment theory did inner child and shadow work alone with the help of psychedelics, and leaned more into content creators like yourself. 
I saw the narc signs but kept downplaying them as avoidant attachment. I fell for hoovering multiple times. I felt it all and yet still couldn't stop my savior complex. I have accepted the relationship was built on lies, but my confidence is still shot because I'm an introvert, afraid of the opinions of others, and afraid I'll vehemently defend myself and try to expose her if challenged. Even though I know to win this war, I need to not fight at all. I need to let her destroy everything around her, and when the dust settles, everyone will see her for who she is. But I'm afraid of my own impulse to defend because I can't stand injustice, so I'm self-aware... Highly empathic, but still a toxic empath, but still can't protect myself from coercion and trust my intuition no matter how enlightened or aware I am. I need a kick in the ass to push me past that. Athena and Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, Sven. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Sven, for making time. <laughs> Pleasure is absolutely mine, I and I appreciate your willingness to share your stories on our show. Um We've got a lot going on here. Um, Brian, uh, Rob read yours second, and um, you hit, you checked about every box as far as um, every single popular culture word when it comes to uh, therapy and so forth. Um, you've been through the ringer, brother. Yeah, yeah I definitely have. If, and I'm still trying to get myself out of it. Uh, and I can understand how it's hard to do, especially when you're being smeared and so forth. If I were to ask you to sum up your entire situation, really, in one very simple sentence, jargon-free, just very simple, what really is it that we're talking about? You broke up with your ex, and what really is the problem that you've been struggling with that brings you to today? I realize that I've been aware the entire time. I haven't been trusting my intuition and I've kept giving them opportunities and downplaying what they were doing um, and kind of dismissing it in a way. And now that I'm still fully aware, I'm still, I still can't break free of that, that trauma, uh, that bond that we have. You and your ex. And, yeah. uh, and so let me ask you this. Um, you've been apart for a year and you still can't break apart. What is it, if there were something, maybe there's not, Brian, but what is it you're still wanting from your ex? You say you broke up with her. Uh, well, she, technically, over a little over a year ago, she broke up with me uh, due to an event of reactive abuse. Um, I, uh, She had worked me up to the point where I had uh, slapped her in the face, and she said, that was it, that was enough. And ever since she moved out, it's been that push and pull of, you know, still talking, validating some of our old stuff, and then eventually hooking up over and over again, and still both of us having feelings, or at least her telling me she did. And, and what I kept is falling for it? I hear you. And so, what is it ultimately, if you were to boil it down to one thing above all else, there may be other things, but what's the biggest thing you still want from her? Something I'll never get, which is her admitting what she's done. And her admitting what she's done to hurt you, presumably, right? Correct. And which is the strongest feeling that you feel with regard to her? Is it longing? Is it anger? Is it fear? What is the single strongest feeling you feel with regard to her? I don't think it's anger because I know that's a secondary emotion. I know there's something behind it. And I've been trying to find out exactly what it is. And I think it's 
mostly maybe disappointment like that 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 I invested so much and I got so little in return. And so that makes you feel what? Invalidated, invisible, not worth it. That you gave up so much and she didn't give anything back. You feel like you're just not really fucking important, right? Yeah, basically. And so you're wanting her to admit all she did. If you could have a choice between her uh, admitting all she did to hurt you and her coming to you and saying, you really are wonderful and uh, I miss you. Which would you choose? I would choose the first one because I knew the second would be a lie. What do you think is the big, single biggest thing, uh, jargon-free, what is the single biggest thing stand between you and moving on with your life? It's the fear of what she's capable of. And what as above all else she- do you most fear her doing? Using her evidence from reactive abuse to put, to push on to people who don't know me mm-hmm. in such an aggressive manner that no one will bother asking me my side. I see. And so if I'm hearing you correctly, then uh, you fear her putting out a story that you can't defend yourself against. You fear ultimately you looking bad. Is that correct? Yeah, and I feared it ever since before we broke up because I knew she was trickling it out before then. And what is the how much overlap is there between the people she interacts with and the people you interact with? How many people are we really talking about that she could impact with her storytelling? Dozens to I mean, with how gossip spreads in the community I'm in, and it's a alternative lifestyles community. Mm-hmm. Um, with within that group, we're talking like dozens to over a hundred. Okay. And what would happen if she did that and that story got out? What would happen to you? I'm already socially anxious as it is, and I'm still trying to regain my confidence. So it would make me not go out and present myself to other people, to go out to meet new people, to, to connect with people who are like me, because I would just fear the judgment that's unspoken. And and so one last question in that vein before I switch over to Athena, and it's simply this, mm-hmm. which uh, pain is higher? Which price is higher? Uh, you know, that fear of, you know, that people might know things she said about me. And so that sort of reticence to open up in social situations, is the price of that higher for you? Or is the price of staying in this mad, maddening loop with her uh, that's just driving you fucking nuts? It's been a year. Which price is higher? I mean, the price the higher is the second one, is staying in a loop with her. Right. Okay. I want to flip over here. Hold those thoughts, Brian. I want to flip over here Absolutely. to Athena. Athena, you're in an affair for three years. And um, just out of curiosity, for you personally, and there's no right or wrong answer, Athena, and it takes takes a lot to admit that. It does. And, and I admire you for having the courage to talk about it. Okay. What is the single biggest feeling you feel as you think about uh, being in this affair for three years? Uh, that I'm only a second thought. Um, and I'm, I see myself as a special reserve for him. Um, anytime we can connect. Um, and, but I'm patient, um, based on his, his lifestyle and willing to wait for him. So is it safe to say as someone who has been the person 
that someone cheated with. Okay, they're cheating on their own spouse and they cheated with me. Having been that person and written a book on my experiences uh, and, and having happened a number of times, I think I might understand a little bit of where you're at. Is it safe to say that you wish you could have more of him? Uh, certainly. I've, I've told him a number of times um, that I want to spend more time, have more shared experiences, um, but always. He tells me he has his obligations with his family um, and that I'm very understanding of it. So it's just an endless loop. Nothing changes, which I guess, in a sense, I feel safe in that certainty of the relationship. But deep down, I'm I'm still always wanting more and I'm still never happy in this. And Yet, I'm still here. Right. And even it, a year break um, from seeing him while I was in grad school. Gotcha. And it's safe because it keeps you from have this this affair, even though he won't give more. In a way, he doesn't have to give more because you're happy to keep giving and he's happy to keep taking. There's no pain point. There's no reason for him to give more. You'd think your love would be enough, but clearly it isn't. And you'd think his love for you would be enough, but obviously three years into it, it's not enough. And so there's no incentive for him to change. He gets you. He doesn't have to give you much, and he gets you for whenever he wants. And it sucks, and it blows, and it fucking sucks ass that somebody would use you that way. But that's what he's doing. And so let me ask you, but you use the words, it keeps me safe. Safe from what? Safe from having to face what? From feeling lonely. Er, um, I just have this sheer pain of loneliness. Uh, and he's that small glimpse of of connection to somebody. Right, and it's nice to have that connection. Let me ask you, when you're in your loneliness, what are the thoughts that run through your head the most? Is it stuff like, I'm unlovable, I'm unwantable, or will I ever find someone, or I hate life, or what are we talking about when you're lonely? What goes on inside of you? I honestly don't believe I will find someone. I've gone through periods where I just accepted I, I will be that person by the age I'm 45, 50, 60. What is it above all else that causes you to believe you will never find someone? Because you, you, what is it? Help me understand. What is it about you that makes you think you will never find someone? You're 35 years old. Why do you believe that? I've never been in a a long-term committed relationship. Um, I guess my previous relationships, I've tried to voice that want that and that it's always been denied or uh, I was rejected. Um, that I'm not worth um, receiving love. I, I love to give um, what I have to offer. I just haven't found anyone who's willing to receive it. Um, so I just take what I can get, I suppose. Um, sounds pretty pathetic, but, um, I've, I've never really felt seen before. So I just, I guess subconsciously, I, or consciously, I think that I'm not worth being in a, a committed and deep relationship with anybody and to really, really okay. connect. Okay. Let me ask you this question. What is it about you that is the most unlovable part I would say that there's, I keep a wall between people 
I I would consider myself as an introvert, but I do like to socialize, but I don't connect deeply, even though I consider myself as empathetic. And you don't connect deeply. That seems to indicate to me that you're afraid to open up. Is that true? And if so, what is it you most fear if you do open up to someone? I fear the most that I'll be rejected like I have been before. Uh, so I just close off and just keep people away. Um, I'm alone most of the time. It's just me and my dog. But I have friends, but they're not close friends. I do have one friend. I call her my soul sister. Um, I do have five other siblings, but we're not close. And what do you think the biggest thing is that yeah. you, what do you think the biggest message is that you got from your childhood about your own self and your own worth? Certainly that um, any thoughts or ideas that I have, it's it's acknowledged, but it's not taken into genuine interest. I'm the middle child and my three older siblings, they, they were, I guess, troublemakers and I was the, the good child. I did what my father asked. Um, there was never um, a discussion of why I wanted to do something. It's when he says no, it's a no. And my mother, she was present, but she never really took an active role in, I suppose, in helping me and my siblings learn about emotions. Granted, I understand her background and her history and how that all played out. Uh, a point in my mid-20s, I, I resented my mother for a while, um, particularly after my father passed, but I'm understanding of her upbringing, so... I can't blame her entirely. I, I just understand. So it just gets to the point where I have to acknowledge where my shortfalls are and work through them um, as painful as it is. But what you really have to work through isn't your shortfalls. While you can understand what mom went through, you can understand her past. That doesn't invalidate or lessen your own feelings. As an adult, I can understand, oh, shit, mom went through her own horrible childhood or whatever it may be, but it, I still have an obligation to that child that she wasn't there for. When it comes to protecting the child, I don't give two shits what she went through because she, as an adult, put me through or allowed me or enabled me to go through a shitty situation. The feelings of that child still matter regardless of what the experience of the parent was prior to having the child. The child got screwed. You got fucked over because here you are in adulthood believing that you don't deserve any good relationship in your life, that your own sense of self-worth is so fucking low that I don't deserve love. That didn't come from your adulthood. That shit goes way back. And regardless of whether or not you can understand her position or forgive what she, you know, puts you through, the bottom line is, is those feelings that you felt as a child have to come out. Even if it's just to yourself. You talk about sexual abuse, and I don't see what good it would be in bringing that up to the family. Fine, you don't have to. There's no pressure to do that. All right? 
But at the very least, you have to get your own feelings out regarding that for your own healing because that's how you validate that six-year-old you. That's how you validate that nine or that 13-year-old you is by allowing your authentic feelings out because that child's feelings matter regardless of what any adult was going through. Brian, I want to flip it back over to you. Uh, we were talking about fear and, you know, using your ex, using evidence to create a bad image of you. Um, while I was over talking to Athena, what was going on inside of your head or what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Talk to me, Brian. I, you know, I, I also suffer from like, I, I guess the, the general feeling I'm getting is that like, you know, I'm not worthy of like, um, I think she said, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, just willing to wanting to find someone who would receive their love and to me it felt like it, the thing that popped in my head was it's not even about receiving it's about someone who reciprocates and that's something that i'm looking for i'm a very open and vulnerable person because i'm looking for deep connection with people mm -hmm. and i open myself up anyways mm -hmm. i just open myself up to the point that in my attempt to connect with others i don't listen to my mind i don't listen to my body that tells me something's off i'm not getting it back so i keep doing as you say being an extreme giver um and you know i know that stems like like i said i've done a lot of like work into my past and stuff and a lot of it boils down to what i thought was what i realized is is that i don't feel like i can be loved unless i'm useful because i i i for most of my life, I've been basically everybody's three free therapist, confidant. People come to me and they talk to me about things, and I'm good because of my I have some mental health uh, diagnoses, and because of those, I've been able to use them to shift perspectives when looking at situations, even my own, where I'm not always stuck in that ego-driven like this is the way I'm looking at things from my perspective, but how other people can see it. And I've done that to change my own behaviors. And so you're but, good at taking yourself out of the center of the universe, putting the other person there, giving them attention, listening to them, making it about them. Am I hearing you correctly on that, Brian? Yes, and it often isn't reciprocated with romantic partners. Right, and and so then when you realize that it's not being reciprocated, do you stay anyway? I double down on my efforts. Right. I try to approach differently in a softer manner. And, and what is the fear driving the behavior, if you were to speculate, Brian? I mean, same as it is for most people, don't want to be alone. Hey, so we're but seeing... Also, but also... Go ahead, sorry. But also that that, that fear of, um, you know, I've invested so much, I can't just quit now. Hmm. And we're seeing some common threads then here with you and Athena. And I want to come back to this notion of fear of being alone and how it draws us, drives us to hold on to things and drives us to uh, double down and keep investing. And before you know it, well, shit, I put in this much time, I shouldn't quit now. We're going to come back to this, more to come. But right now, let's take a quick break. I'll be right back. So I was telling a buddy of mine how he seems happier. He told me about the book that changed his life. So I bit. I went to the Badass Counseling website and downloaded There's a Hole in My Love Cup audiobook. I started listening to it on my commute home from work, and holy cow, it was a Louisville slugger to the face. I literally sat in my car in the driveway night after night, listening through to the end of a chapter or doing the journaling exercises. My wife started to see changes. I started to change a lot. My default response stopped always being anger. 
Now, I manage a team of salespeople, and I changed as a leader. I was listening more, not always just reacting. When their numbers started going up seemingly out of nowhere, I knew what the reason was. There's a hole in my love cup is now required listening for any person on my sales team or working for me, and I gladly buy it for them. You gotta listen to this book. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. We are joined on the show this evening by Brian and Athena. They do not know each other. And as we've been keying into their stories, we're beginning to see a few common threads, not the least of which is the fear of alone, of being alone, and particularly what goes on when we are alone, what goes on inside of us. That's very often what keeps us clinging to someone is we're terrified of what goes on inside of me. The, the feelings of being unworthy and not being good enough and that I don't matter. It's the very same things that when we are interacting with people, as Brian was just saying, he tends to put the other person to give them the spotlight, give them the attention, try to help them. That if I do something more for someone, then maybe they'll like me. And Athena was just talking about how, you know, I'm faithful and I've I've stayed in this relationship. She's been with her affair partner uh, who's having an affair on um, his family, his wife. Um, and, uh, you know, just that hope that things will change, but it's also safe. You mentioned in your write-up, Athena, that... I'm growing into a deep depression with a strong belief I only deserve this withered form of love, this uh, affair. And then you talk about, I find myself sinking and suffocating in this quicksand called life, truly believing I'll only be loved or given attention by men for my body. Let me ask you, Athena, if you were to pinpoint as best you can, when did the de depression begin to set in? So the first um, was after my father passed away. Um, he was my rock. Um, and when we lost him, when I lost him, my world fell apart um, and had no direction. Uh, the second was certainly, uh, it was during the beginning phases of the affair. Uh, within a year of the uh, the affair. Um, I went to go see a counselor, um, different from different sources. Um, the start of the affair was, according to this counselor, um, a sexual assault case or considered as one. Um, yet in my mind, because of what I continued to do, I didn't think it was. So it, I was just really weighted down by the situation I was in and what I kept myself in. Um, and I was diagnosed with uh, depression and uh, CPTSD at that point. And so then you say that started uh, basically when that therapist told you that it was uh, a, a sexual assault. Um, and what caused you to come out of it then? Because you said there was a second depression that started when your dad died. And uh, by the way, how long ago was it that your dad died? What caused you to come out of it between feeling weighted down and then your dad dying? So my father passed in 2013 from a heart attack. So that was... Uh, oh, that was the first one. Right. The first depression was after he passed. Right. 
I, the second one, you're right. I inverted those. The second one was 2021, 20, uh, right in there. And you said the first one was when he died in 2013. So what was it that caused that first one to lift? Because it would have had to have lifted in order for you to go into a second one. What caused that depression to lift? It was with a change of environment. I left home. I essentially took over the family when he passed away. Um, and it came to the point where I had to find a second full-time job. I was willing to work at a full-time daycare as a daycare teacher and work um, night shift at a homebo. And it came to that point where I was like, I, I can't live like this, where I, I feel guilty just buying a piece of gum for myself and all the money I'm making, taking care of the entire family. I just can't do this anymore. So um, I took charge and decided to join the service. And that's where it lifted when I, um, after I left uh, Georgia, which is where um, the fair partner and I met and went to DC for graduate school. Graduate school, I sought out for it because I had to get out of there. I did not have the strength to leave him as several times I've had. And I've went through several grieving moments where I just, I can't do this anymore, but I didn't have the strength despite me at some point believing I did, I was strong in this relationship because I can withstand um, his lifestyle and I'm patient and understanding, but what comes down to it, I was just, I was weak. So I found a way out, but now, now I'm back. Okay. And so you're weighted down and the single biggest thing above, you said in the last two to three years, I've felt weighted down and I'm slipping more into this depression. And what do you think if you were to do your best to put it into one sentence, what is at the root of this depression in one sentence or less? The cause of the depression is me not feeling connected with myself as I did find when I was in DC. Uh, and so, well, let me ask you, what is it if you're disconnected from myself? And I just love that you, that just popped right off your fucking tongue. I mean, you barely had to think about it. It just came out of disconnected from myself you know how powerful a realization that is that you can even fucking put that into words because then that leads to the obvious next question of what do you need to do to reconnect with yourself? What do you most need to do to reconnect with yourself? And I want you to think about that while I go over and talk to Brian and we're going to come back to most need to do. What do you most need to do to reconnect? All right. So you think about that. And so Brian, coming back to you, Yes. What ultimately now, what is the fear, Brian? Is it, I know you have this fear of being alone. What is it your fear? Actually, let me put it this way. Which is bigger for you? Put it in terms of percentages that keeps you looped in with your ex. What percentage is it my fear of being alone? What percentage is it my fear of her besmirching me, bad-mouthing me to others? Is it 60, 40, 20, 80, 13, 87? What, what percent is it the being alone and what percent is it her bad-mouthing me? Probably somewhere around 25, 75, the 25 being alone. Um, the besmirching is really, I'm thinking only because the idea of being alone 
and being introverted, being hard to connect with people because I don't approach others well, um, is exacerbated by knowing that there are people that don't wish to interact with me. Right. And the fear- Based on a half story. Fair enough. And so then the fear is if I interact with people based on what the bullshit she's told and the lies she's told, the fear is that they'll reject me. Is that accurate or inaccurate? Oh, that is very accurate. The fear of rejection. And and that's even beyond her. Like uh, I like I said, I have multiple mental health diagnoses and my um my professionals have said that like, you know, I was diagnosed finally at with ADHD at 31. And one of those things I suffer with, which is not a technical medical term, is called rejection sensitivity dysphoria. I fear rejection before it even happens, as if it happened, and it may never happen. And that is some of what keeps me back from interacting with new people is just because I fear that rejection. Totally get that. And the truth is, Brian, the real truth is that is a very, 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 very common thing. I guarantee you that if I were to ask both Rob, Casey, and myself, all three of us, that is something all three of us, and hell, I'll even throw Athena in the loop. I I guarantee all three, all four of us have experienced now in different ways and respectfully mm-hmm. to you, you know, to different degrees at different times in our lives. Yeah. But we all fear that rejection. I don't think it's any grand stretch to say that you fear that if you open up, Athena, that you fear being rejected. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, but back to you, Brian, and, and I'm not trying to minimize your experience and minimize your pain, no, Brian, in any way. I don't believe that. Okay, good, good. Uh, so it's that fear of rejection. And is it? are you in your journaling and in your self-work, how much uh, are you looking at um, and really flushing out the fears that keep me in my shell and the fears that keep me from opening up and the fears of her spreading lies are you doing the work of really looking at that in your own self-work? Um, I I actually was just about to start journaling recently, so I haven't done that yet. I did it many years ago, um, but uh, I haven't just been able to focus on it. But uh, you know, uh, you know, I've I've looked at the the reasonings behind it, and. I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe what it is. It's just that the rejection fear is so bad that I will not even initiate anything. I'm just too afraid to even take that step. I get it. Um, one of the things I do with like my dating profiles or my online profiles is they are very long <laughs> and they are very detailed about me. They don't dive into all my, my neuroses <laughs> and all my mental health stuff, but I do that. And I realized recently that the reason I did so is because I am so afraid of rejection that if they read something in, I don't have to waste the time of getting to know them, to have them turn around and say, you're too much. I'm sorry. I'd rather them look at me and reject me in a way I can't even see it. You are I know singing- it happens. You are singing I, my I song. It, Go ahead. I know it happens, yeah, but I, like I, I know it happens, but I don't have to experience it. So I can chalk it up to statistics or something. That's right. 
And I did the exact same thing, you know, 10 plus years ago, 12, 14 years ago, when I was dating online, I, I would literally have women reach out to me and say, that is the single longest motherfucking profile I have ever seen in my entire life. I put everything yeah. out there. Why? I didn't just want leads. I don't want to just show up on a fucking date and date a hundred people and yeah. get a bunch of leads. I wanted qualified leads. So if you're sitting at that fucking table, you already know that my feet stink, that I get ornery when I'm tired or when I'm hungry, <laughs> that, you know, I can be sort of a, you know, I can be really fucking loud and I swear, you know everything mm -hmm. about me, right? Yeah. Uh, because that way, at least I stand a fucking shot and I don't have to deal with you thinking or saying, oh, not really interested. It's like, ah, I get it. Well, uh, go ahead. One of the, one of, just real quickly, one of the things that I've, I've had the biggest issue with is just getting to, close to people and having them tell me I'm too much or I'm too overwhelming or too emotionally intense because that's the kind of person I am. I'm very open. I'm very mm -hmm. vulnerable kind of an open book and you know the, these detractors the people who who are hearing these stories about me had they come to me and spoken to me i'd take accountability for what i've done mm -hmm. i would i have no problem with that because i've accepted that as part of myself um but uh oh i forgot where i was going with that um it's all right but it's well let me ask you this do you tend to knowing that you know you you are you know some people say oh you're too much or you're this or that does that cause you to be less of who you really are, or do you just keep being who you are and put it out there and, you know, come what may? Um, it actually just reinforces my most core wound, which is that I'm invisible. Like I don't matter. It's telling me that people say like, I can't handle you. And what I usually say to people like that, who say, you know what, you're too much. I used to jokingly say, well, then that means you're not enough. But I've come to the point where it's, it's about, I, I've gotten very big into using I statements. And it's like, no, I'm too much for you. And that's fine. Right. Um, and there's a phrase I've been kind of living and saying to people who've been experiencing other things because they come to me for advice. Mm -hmm. I'm an ocean of emotion, but I am I'm no longer teaching people to swim when they'd rather jump in puddles. I like that. I like that. And uh, Brian, as someone who is definitely too much and always have been too much, and anybody who knows me, hell, Rob, Rob's known me for a long time, but even the ones that have known me 40, 50 years, every single one of them would say it's, it's just this fucking overwhelming pain in the ass and this, that, and the other yeah. thing. And at some point in life, you just fucking be you. And the truth is, Brian, yeah. as we all know, whether it's from you know being in the chess club or being in sports or being you know having jobs, it's just that you're going to win some and you're going to lose some. And mm -hmm. it sucks yep. to lose some. It does suck. But part of what you need to be doing, Brian, is you need to be getting into, A, my fears, and you need to be journaling about this. And I have other tools in my book, teach other tools, mm -hmm. but you need to be looking at the fears, but also you, okay, good man. I, uh, you're, I you're just got it in the mail today. All right. All right. Yeah. And, and you've got to be going into not just the fears of <laughs> opening up and the fears of being social and the fears of what people might think of me, which to some degree you can't ever control. Uh, but not only looking at the fears, but looking at, and that my book is going to take you into where the hell this self-loathing came from that caused me to basically so almost believe in advance that I'm going to get rejected or that it has me so terrified of the rejection. There's nothing wrong with being afraid of rejection. 
Nothing wrong. I get that, all right? But you've got to be going into A, all of those feelings, and B, where those feelings came from. And the more you flush that out and flush that out and flush that out, the less of a grip it's going to have on your short and curlies and tugging Mm -hmm. at you and causing you so much fucking pain. And the more we flush all that stuff out that's inside of us, the less we become afraid and the more we feel comfortable Mm -hmm. Uh, with our own self. And isn't it interesting? This is precisely where we left off with Athena. So Athena, I'm putting you on the spot now. I had left you with the question, what is it you'd talked about that what's really at the root of this depression is disconnection from myself. And I had asked you the question, what do you most need to do to reconnect with yourself? I need to not use school and work to distract me from really figuring out why I feel so shitty about myself on the inside. Why do I feel like I'm only good for my body and willing to give up my body? Um, And I also, I fear being seen, but also wanting to be seen at the same time. Absolutely. I mentioned earlier that I, I want a deep connection, but yeah, also at the same time, don't want to be seen because I don't like myself. That's right. And does that make you sad saying that and thinking about that? I don't like myself. Yes. Yeah. Cause I tried so hard to like justify why I'm a good person. I'm, I'm very kind. I'm too giving. But the things I'm doing makes me a bad person. You're not a bad person. You're not a bad person. And yeah, you do need to reconnect with yourself. There's not... Can I make it okay? I try to find reason to justify being in this stupid relationship, but I know it makes me a bad person, but I don't know. I feel like I'm I'm doing something for him, of course. I'm, I'm a terrible, terrible person for affecting his marriage and relationship, but sometimes, most of the time, I think I'm a good person. Athena, you have to go inside of yourself. Just like I was telling Brian, you have to go inside of yourself because you just said... What I need to do to most reconnect myself is I need to not use school and work to distract myself from basically the hard stuff that's inside of you. And the mere fact that you want to distract yourself says that that stuff inside of you scares you and you fear it overwhelming you. So you're staying distracted so you don't have to touch that stuff. But that's where the solution is. You were conditioned as a child, not the, le- not the least of which is because of the sexual abuse that you encountered and that you've been silent about it and you don't ever have to come out and you know, tell the world if you choose some point you want to, that's fine. But all of these things, your father being dominated and being your rock, and then you having to take over and take care of everyone else, it's always been about somebody else. Even now, this affair, it's about somebody else. It's about you wanting to please him. And that's because of beliefs you have inside of yourself about your own unworthiness inside of yourself. And it's about your fears and your pain inside of yourself. You have to go into this, just like with Brian. You have to go into this because otherwise you're going to allow this to continue. And this, and what I hear you saying is you don't feel good about this uh, affair that you're in. It's safe, 
but you don't feel good about it. And it's being driven by the fact that you don't feel good about yourself. Do you understand the need to go inside and begin to look at where are these beliefs of my own unworthiness and that I don't deserve anything better than this, I don't deserve love at all, that those are rooted in your childhood and that you need to go in and begin to look at those and pull those out and begin that process of what we call the healing process. Do you understand how that's really necessary? Because you're at the point now where you're in a depression, you say it's getting worse, and you feel disconnected from yourself. Do you understand? You've already said, I'm depressed because I'm disconnected from myself, and in order to reconnect, I need to basically stop distracting myself, and I need to go in and do the work. So you know what you need to do. You said it. I didn't even have to say it. What do you think it's going to take for you to go in and do the actual work, Athena? I have to find that little that little girl, that little version of me and talk to her and ask her what she was wanting, what she what her needs were. Yeah. And, and ask her why the feelings that she had and acknowledge those feelings because they weren't acknowledged. They're always dismissed. And if I was angry. And my father would make reason or find a reason for me to actually be angry or cry. I would go to my room alone with the feelings I did not know how to even identify, hope, or match through. In those memories, I feel like I can't remember most of my childhood. Right. And that's usually the case when there's been a lot of pain. So what you do is you start with what you do remember. Even if all you remember is, you know, yesterday at the gym, when that person, you know, took that bench that you were wanting to use, or even if it's only from a month ago when your boss gave you a less than perfect report on your, you know, yearly review or your quarterly review, start with what you do know. Even if you can't remember all that stuff, your body, your system has shut that down because it's too painful, especially if there's been sexual abuse. So you start by by beginning to empty out that which you can see, that which the memories that you have that do have feelings attached to them. Start by flushing those out. Get my book. It'll step you through this process. But I guess the real question is this, Athena. So those are the steps you need to take. The journaling, getting the book and answering the questions and going deep and flushing out the memories and flushing out the feelings attached to those memories, but the real question is, has your pain gotten bad enough that you are ready to stop distracting yourself and start doing the dirty, ugly work? Suppose it hasn't gotten bad enough um, for me to get to that point. I have your book and I purchased your audio book because um, it's easier to tune from mm -hmm. work mm -hmm. and throughout my workouts. Mm -hmm. What's going to push you to doing more and more work and going further into that work is the pain getting bad enough. So you can either choose to go into it on your own or life will drive you into it by your pain getting bad enough. But it's not, you need to be doing those exercises as well because that's where the real rubber hits the road on that. Let me flip it over to you, Brian. What is it you most need to do now? What is it you see that you really need to do now? Right now, the biggest thing I'm trying to do, I'm... I'm aware of, you know, the type of people that I've dealt with. I don't feel like I need to hold back my authenticity and being vulnerable with people because that's who I am and that's how I connect with people. Um, I do my best not to overshare too early or to say, hey, is it okay if I share about these things first? You know, get mm -hmm. consent from those people. Mm -hmm. But really the hardest part is trying to find my self-confidence and my ability to stand behind my no 
but also to have the strength to walk away from something, no matter how much I've invested, if it doesn't feel right. And that, if it doesn't feel like, like it's, it's adding to my life. That's right. And that confidence and that ability to say no and that fearlessness of walking away, all of that comes, that sense of self, that sense, of, like Athena was talking about, that sense of connection to self and that sense of self-confidence and that being confident in my no, that comes from deep inside my own self. And what happens is all the other voices and messages get packed on top of it. I suck, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy. And so the process of becoming more myself happens by getting out all the voices that are saying, you suck, you're not good enough. See, I'm no good, oh, no one's gonna like me. So the, we find ourselves more by getting the crud out that isn't me, all right? Mm -hmm. And getting all that, and that's for both of you in this case. I wanna uh, ask you both to stick around for one minute here afterwards, but um, I, I really wanna thank you both for coming on the show. You've had such uh, interesting stories and so different Yet, boy, oh boy, the similarities and, and struggling yeah, with really some of the exact same stuff, that fear of rejection, that fear of that loneliness, the emptiness inside, and the messages from childhood. I want to thank you both so much for being on the show. Uh, I, I know I speak on behalf of Rob and Casey when I said thank you truly for opening up to us. Thank you so much. Thank and, you, Sam. You're welcome. And to our listeners, go... Go ahead, thank you, Athena. Brian, for sharing your story. And thank you as well, Athena. And stick around one minute. On behalf of KC in the booth and Rob the Rocket next to me, I want to thank you all for tuning into the Badass Counseling Show. Have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Mm -hmm.